0: isn't that the i don't know they they all have plastic dashes so i don't know a damn thing about them
1: yeah
2: oh shit here we go (laughs) (laughs) you're listening to a four by four radio network podcast
3: Are you ready? It's the Jeep Talk Show with Wendy.
4: There will be body damage.
3: Jeep Mama.
4: Are you sure?
5: Josh. Yeah, I don't think so.
6: And
5: Tony. I think that's a huge deal. So sit back. Strap in
6: embrace, embrace yourself. yourself
5: good evening all you rat bastards out there i want to thank you for joining us tonight we've got the uh zoom nights of the round table everybody say hello, hello. <laughs> hello. <laughs> uh, and they're going to remember to say who they are and where they're from before they start uh, answering any questions tonight <laughs> Uh, so that's the theory. Anyway, we'll we'll see how that works. So I know I've been talking to you guys. I know you've been talking to all you uh, listeners out there about getting the word out about the Jeep Talk Show. And uh, one of uh, one of the uh, the rat bastards that I've been talking to about this uh, has recommended asking you to put hashtag Jeep Talk Show on all of your social media posts because you know you know how the kids like the social media is like I always say in the interviews. Well, let's get people asking you. What the hell is Jeep Talk Show? What is that hashtag? Or some people will say pound. What's that pound Jeep Talk Show? Those are the old folks. You know, Those are the ones we can associate with. <laughs> so if I put in uh, uh, the hashtag Jeep Talk Show, and it's all one word, all three words all run together, hashtag Jeep Talk Show, put them on your posts. And uh, I'll just be I'll, I'll be giggling like a little uh, schoolgirl when I see uh, all the little notifications coming up on our social media stuff. Instagram, uh, Tic Uh, Facebook, all of them. If you're a regular listener to the Jeep Talk Show, you already know about our Campfire Side Chat segment we've done for the last several years. We always enjoy interacting with our listeners, so we came up with a way to have you join in for an entire episode, and we call it the JTS Roundtable and uh, self-named Zoom nights of the Roundtable uh, join us every Tuesday, as well as you can. Uh, all you have to do is go over to jeeptalkshow.com and sign up for our newsletter. So again, jeeptalkshow.com/contact, and just scroll down to where you see newsletter. Put in your uh, email address, and uh, you'll get a, 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 a surprising total of one emails a week, and it will tell you how to, to join in on the, the Zoom meeting. So everyone is invited to our roundtable. Just connect using Zoom. And uh, I've already mentioned the newsletter to you, but just uh, go to jeeptalkshow.com slash contact to uh, sign up for that newsletter. Now we join the Zoom meeting, which is already in progress. Please keep in mind that what you're about to hear is completely unrehearsed. The opinions may be be strong and may or may not reflect the opinion of the Jeep Talk Show. They probably all, Josh probably agrees with all you guys 100%. So if you want to write nasty letters to Josh, I encourage that welcome everyone uh, i'll remind you again re- uh, remember to say who you are and where you're located i don't care where, where your location is you can say another place if you want to i don't care I, I, hell use your stage name if you like so uh i, I got a, a topic for us to start with actually let me let me hang on a second what uh, is there any topic that you guys would like to discuss first let's let's do what you want to do first
1: I like let's john's talk topic. about jeeps <laughs> yeah i like john's topic this is Steve O from Outside of Chicago, Illinois. John Lee had an interesting one he posted in Discord today. What are your pet peeves on the trail?
5: That's a good one. What are your pet peeves on the tail on the trail? What upsets you on the trail? Would it be non-jeepers?
1: No, carbureted jeeps that stall out.
5: Really? That's interesting. Relax. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, uh, that's some inside baseball because uh, Chuck has uh, all older carbureted Jeeps. Although I think you were converting one to uh, fuel injection, weren't you, Chuck?
0: Yeah, this is Chuck. I, sorry, I'm pretty far away from my phone right now. I'm out actually wrenching on stuff. Sounds good. Uh, yeah, I, yeah my, uh, the Scrambler, yeah, we put the, the Holley Projection on there, and it doesn't run half as good as the carburetor did. Because uh. when it had a carburetor, it actually ran. Now that we're doing this Holley Sniper Kit thing, it doesn't run – 60%
5: of the time. Think of all the fuel savings, though. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So, uh, what else are some pet peeves out on the trail?
7: All,
2: following too close. I'm
1: sorry, this is okay. who?
5: This is John from Prince <laughs> <Central>
2: of Texas. <laughs> uh, I, would say, I would say people that aren't uh, the same thing that's a pet peeve in life, obliviousness. People that are just oblivious to what's going on around them, right? Someone's trying to tackle an obstacle and they drive in front of them, maybe at the top kind of blocking their line or people that crowd right up behind you when you're trying to go uphill or whatever, you don't know you have a standard, whatever it is. Um, But just people that don't understand how to, uh, how to be around someone trying to tackle an obstacle.
5: So what you're saying is uh, you feel like you should have a bumper sticker. If you're going to ride my ass, uh, would you pull my hair?
2: (laughs) Yeah, pretty much. I mean, it's kind of, I mean, it's kind of universal, you know, whether you're on the trail or on the highway, right? Just that that courteous.
5: Well, I was just thinking that's probably features. where people get that from is rush hour traffic, driving in rush hour, uh, and they're just used to, to you know, having that uh, that you know move your ass type of uh, mentality. Well, then this may be exactly what you're talking about. The thing that always pisses me off <clears throat> is uh, an obstacle. Somebody just got up over a shelf or something, and then they they come to a stop. And sometimes they come to a stop because it's not there's no room in front of them. But they come to a stop, and they just went over that obstacle, and they knew how f- how much wheel spin and everything they had to have, and they don't leave enough room for you to get up over the obstacle. And then then the other side of it is, once you get up there, you understand why they couldn't move any further. It's because everybody else is, is is parked. Is it just people being damn lazy? They want to get to the excitement, when they get get on foot, so they can see everybody else coming up the thing. Move, move mm-hmm. down the trail a little bit. <clears throat>
2: some of it is new newer folks on the trail like i was just you know five six years ago and that was you don't know what you don't know and you know kind of you don't know how to pick a line so you don't know when you're obstructing a line, right and i think it just some of it is just experience and like i said before obliviousness i kind of equate it to you ever been in the grocery store and someone's pushing that cart down the middle of the aisle and just, just stop? <laughs> oh god, just I just what's on the aisles and don't care about anyone else around them or
5: anything the, like that. Diagonal. They they're diagonal. It's like, I just want to say, hey, if you were you couldn't cover more of this aisle if you were trying to. And then sometimes when there's a conversation going on between two people, it's like, Come on, get the hell out of the way. Holy crap, you guys sound like a bunch of ninnies. <laughs> <laughs> well, the other you know, the one, other
2: one, I would put on there is is kind of a pet peeve is radio etiquette, um, especially somewhere like a park or something like that, because that it gets it gets pretty vulgar sometimes on there, and you know, oftentimes I'm out there with the daughter, so I'm trying to change channels or mute or do something like that. And so, I mean, that's obviously a kind of a a plug for tones, I guess. If you're, <laughs> that's like that. but, you know, if you don't have something that's set up like that or whatever it is, you know, people that are just you know, blasting away with some extreme obscenities on
1: the on the red. Wow, John wants censorship. Who'd have thought?
5: Well, you know uh, that probably would be a good thing to cover in the uh, the drivers' meeting right before we got out on the trail, or, or anybody got, got out on the trail. So it's obviously,
2: you know, I, I very rarely had that issue with like the group that I'm in. So you know, we kind of meet up and like knows, knows that you have a friend or knows that you have you know, next company or whatever. Be perfectly honest, it's the teenagers on dirt bikes and stuff that happen to be using the same radio that I've seen the worst at least at the parks and stuff. Right?
7: Side by sides.
1: Yeah, Yeah, I would. I would agree. This is Chris from Detroit. It's side by sides in the two wheelers and the trails. Certainly more in the parks. Toyota. Anybody
2: anybody (laughs) driving a Toyota? (laughs) 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 It may be a problem worse in the parks just from the. You know, the amount of people in the, in the area
1: that you're in, it, you know, it, is, it, it, it is, it is more at the parks, but where, where I go in Michigan and the, and the state land, certainly I mentioned Drummond Island before, uh, there's good trails, you know, 20, 30 miles of trails, and there'll be a guy ripping down on a side-by-side. And the only thing keeping you from hitting them is you can usually, you can usually hear them coming. Uh, but, uh, I, I just feel like folks in side-by-sides, no offense, Bill. Uh, they they just they just have bl- they have blinders on it the sand dunes it's just and it's always a side by side accident or or a bike and you know, even even at the park so that's that's my biggest pet peeve is anything other than a jeep.
4: <laughs> it's uh, Dusty from Canada here. Um, my biggest pet peeve on the trails is just overly aggressive drivers. I mean, I love getting in the mud hole and chewing it up a little bit, but you get people that want to drive over trees they drive around obstacles you know stay on the trail and don't just chew it and rip it up um hit it a few times get a winch if you need or whatever but uh some people just feel the need to dig it out you know like that
5: i enjoy tearing stuff up i mean i'll i think the statute of limitations has expired so i'll even admit to to rutting a few yards uh back with my uh, 83 chevy pickup on certain individuals because it was a lot more fun Oh my God, Bob! <laughs> so I think it was a lot more fun, uh, you know, back when you were a kid and not getting caught. But uh, yeah, I, I agree. Tearing things up is just, it may be fun, but it's not an overall good thing to do for uh, for the sport or the the hobby.
4: Just well, gets our trails closed down, right?
5: Yes, yeah. And I mean, if well, there was no, if you weren't getting caught, that'd be one thing. But in, and even at that, you may not get caught, but it's going to cause you not to have that that park or that trail system uh just, to go play in in the future
1: just ask all of us in Illinois. we, we know that feeling is there shit here to go off road again
5: yeah well
1: it, on, on
0: on that note it i don't know how many times i gotta tell you who i am but
5: uh is the first time
0: okay good but, uh, i hate the white flower on the trail and i don't know if a lot of people know what the white flower is but when you get on the trail and there is just a ton of people, they leave their gosh dang toilet paper everywhere. <laughs> I thought
5: it was cocaine.
0: <laughs> no. The, in California, they actually have a eradicate the white flower campaign and um, it's the four wheelers trying to get the, I, I don't want to just always blame the novice, but it seems like it's the novice people that go out there and they don't know just regular backpacking etiquette or woods right. etiquette and that then coincides with off-roading they just go and use the facility you know the bush that's right there and then they walk away you know and it's absolutely disgusting when you get on these major trails that, that you know, thousands of people go on a weekend hmm. I mean it's gross it's absolutely gross
5: so, I'm thinking of a great marketing tool, uh, both positive and negatively, would be uh, Jeep Talk Show logoed toilet paper. And uh, just have people complain about all that Jeep Talk Show shit they keep picking up.
6: <laughs> <laughs> or logoed Jeep Talk Show trash bags that you hang over your spare time. Oh,
5: I like the toilet paper a lot better. <laughs> people asking their, uh, their, their special partner to ask if there's any ink on their uh mm-hmm. bunhole. Uh, so, well, that's a good topic uh, Any other pet peeves? So this is
7: Larry from uh, St. Louis I'd have to just chime in with what uh, John was saying about the radio etiquette Because we've had, even we were in Texas someone, somebody's I think kids picked up the radio on the channel we were on And they were, I don't know what they were doing But you couldn't talk over the radios Because all the kids just jabbering and
5: playing on them yeah, if they're actually, on your
7: frequency...
5: I, you, you I, know, you damn do, oh, kids,
7: yeah. get off the radio! <laughs> uh,
5: so I think John actually mentioned that there was kids listening, And now that I remember, uh, thinking about back to the uh, the Jeep Talk Show Texas uh, event in September last year, uh, and I don't think... I don't remember any specific bad words, but I think there was some innuendo going on. And I think
4: that
2: there's... there's if, you, if you're bringing kids to that event like that with everyone else, I don't expect a disney movie over the radio right i don't think you can but and, and that kind of stuff isn't isn't the problem i think it's like i said and we didn't have any of it in our group but the second time i went out there recently third or fourth time I, don't know, I went out there with when i was meeting you bill um you and kevin were out there right uh, shake down and the yj and i uh we picked up on some dirt bikes or side-by-side kids that were just i mean kind of the stuff that you know chris was talking about uh Hearing uh, Adam Carolla say kind of thing, you know that <laughs> Discord. Yeah, that would have been the entry level to what they were talking about. And it was it was really really. Yeah. And you know, I got my eleven year old with me. And, you know, oh
5: like, no, I yeah. know I know what you're talking about. Yeah, uh, back when my my girls were uh, not adults, it, it was very different. I, actually, Family Guy was a hilarious show, and I never watched it because I didn't want them to be uh, walking in or, or hearing it uh, because it was uh, you know well you guys know how Family show Family Guy is.
2: It's
5: not a family show. Yeah, not a family show. So, yeah, and I'll have to try to remember that the next time we go out uh, on on an event uh, to bring that up in the uh, driver's meeting that uh, a, a quick look around or maybe just a question, do we have any kids riding along with us today? And then make everybody aware. Of that because i think most people can control uh what they say and uh i think that if they if they know specifically that there's uh, children going to be listening to the radio that uh, it, it could uh, could be cleaned up all right well let's move on to the uh, the next one i have here um how do you approach personal safety when you're off the grid so this would be like overlanding if you're overlanding uh, maybe, uh, maybe maybe you, wheeled for the for the day and you're just camping out there where you wield uh how do you handle uh personal safety you can't call the police uh there's uh, of course there's critters always running around and depending on where you are there could be big man-eating critters running around uh what do you do how do you uh protect yourself uh you and your perhaps your family or the other people with you when you're off the grid
1: make sure your food is secured in no, a container that is away from your campsite if you're in bear country.
7: But I think this could also quickly become a Second Amendment commercial also. Yeah.
5: I frankly don't see how you guys can go out, and, and this is not, is because I don't know how it is, but any place where there are a lot of bears or uh, mountain lions, uh, I, I don't know how you guys can go out there without something uh, to pew-pew at them.
1: It's got to be faster than the guy next to you.
4: <laughs> True. <laughs> yeah, we, I'm uh, sure when you kind of talked about this before, I gave it some thought here and uh, really what I have not done up to now, but what we all should be doing is basically having a safety plan years ago. I didn't make it on a run kind of thing like this. And a guy filled in for my trail guide position and he stopped at a downhill, walked down the hill and got mauled by a bear. Wow! So same thing. We're like two hours from like down a dirt road from, where people are from the hospital and stuff. And what they did is um, no cell phone coverage, no nothing. And uh, a couple of guys went up to a fire tower to the top of the mountain. They called like 911, got an ambulance coming down the road, said, hey, come down this road. And we load the people up to the Jeep and we're going home. And they kind of met them halfway, got an ambulance and got them home. But, you know, when you're panicking an emergency, you don't think straight. And no you know, if everybody just kind of says, this is where you go for emergency, you've got cell phone coverage, you've got radio coverage, you have something like that, we have to kind of plan that, and and in my mind, everyone forgets to do that. Not just critters, you have to have a weather plan as well.
5: True. That's very true.
4: Yeah.
8: Sorry, it's a bell from Central Texas. The other thing I I carry, at least, is I carry one of those uh, in-reach satellite Mm -hmm. communicators. It's got an SOS button on the side that, you know, you hit that and there's communication. So you don't have to worry about, you know, going up to a fire tower or trying to go up on a hill to try to get cell phone coverage. So, um, so that's great. Um, so I carry, you know, like a bug out bag on there with just a bunch of necessities, you know, something that, you know, I keep on that passenger seat that I can grab, you know, and I have kind of just a bunch of some food in there, some water, just kind of <coughs> essentials, you know, firearm, anything you would need to kind of, you know, for some reason your vehicle caught on fire or, or, you know, got in a wash and it got washed out, something that you could grab and, you know, hopefully survive long enough for, you know, you to hit that SOS button and for someone to get out there to, you know, rescue you. So Bill, tell us,
5: tell us more about that device. What's it called and how much does it cost? Uh, not only to uh, purchase, but uh, I guess there's a monthly subscription or something on it.
8: There's several of those. So there's like a spot makes one. It's a, a service. I use the Garmin inReach mini and, uh, You know, it's uh, it was like two hundred and fifty dollars. The subscription I think is like twelve, fourteen dollars a month. It's like the cheapest one, and you can get different plans. But you can do, uh, you can use it for emergency communications like that, the SOS button. But the other thing that I like about it is you can pair it with the iPad or your phone, and you can do text messaging, and you can text message, you know. Like, I'll notify my wife and just let her know that I'm still alive and whatnot. The other thing that that thing does is it'll uh, you can have it send um, like cookies at a certain interval and you kind of pay for the different intervals. And I think I have mine set up for every 10 minutes. It sends out kind of a GPS coordinates that it saves to the cloud on there. And so my wife can actually go into that login page there and see like a trail of where. You know, where i've kind of been out there so that if for some reason i don't call in or check in you know there's a you know there's there's a, a ping there you know from you know every 10 minutes with the the coordinates on there so i mean you can pick them up at like the i think i picked mine up at rei but you know they're you can pick them up at like any sporting goods or outdoor places and but to me that's just kind of cheap insurance you know, when you're out there if something happens somebody got mauled by a bear i used it out at a uh, big Ben out there. There was a couple that had, uh, was, you know, a couple that took their, their little, you know, tiny econo car out on, on the trail there and had three flat tires on there oh, and, wow. and able to, and then the husband thought it was wise, you know, it's like a hundred degrees out there to jump on his bike, to try to ride, you know, out of there to to get help. But then he, you know, he took the keys with him and left the car locked and didn't have any water. And was able to use that to Get a hold of the, the park ranger and track the guy down and you know let him know that you know we were there and you know so i mean it has you know lots of lots of uses for off the grid kind of and it doesn't you know,
5: cost you know. any more to press that uh, that sos button it, th- that's just all part of well, it
8: well so if there's helicopters and everything it's money. like when you call an ambulance right like you could get a bill for ten thousand dollars or whatever it is but if you know it's a choice between you know life and death then you know it's probably not a bad Bad bills. So.
5: so, how often do you go out? Because uh, I was thinking, if you're paying twelve dollars a month for the subscription, it, se- it seems like you would probably be going out uh, off road uh, or in these places where you might need it pretty often during the year.
8: Um, so, one of the things that's nice, at least the plan I have, is you can deactivate. You can you pay like a once a year kind of maintenance fee. It's like twenty five bucks or something, and then you can actually deactivate it. You kind of put it in almost like a standby mode on there. And so what I'll do is when I know I have a trip coming up, um, I will go and change the the subscription mm-hmm. for that month. Just, you know, something that will cover the number of pings and messages and minutes and, and whatnot, but well, they let great. you adjust that on the fly. So it's, it's really not that bad. And I mean, like I said, it, to me, it's, you know, peace of mind, you know, it's peace of mind for my wife in terms of I can check in, you know, every night with her, let her know I'm safe
6: and, yeah. you know, I'm good, and you know, updating the uh, life insurance policy along the way. <laughs> this is Greg from Tulsa. You can also rent those GPS devices as well. Uh, we do that a lot with our mountain men group. We go out to uh, Colorado. We hit different fourteeners once a year, and we'll uh, uh, rent the device uh, so that we have that GPS capability. Another thing too is in your planning is to uh, uh, make sure you have it written documentation of where you're going and when you're going to go uh in and what uh, what coordinates you're going to be at when you go in and what coordinates you're supposed to be at when you come out because you give somebody the name of a trailhead and uh that can get so confusing in different parts of the country and you can have multiple trailheads that are very similar names things like that but you can't screw up the coordinate mm-hmm. if you have the court i mean you can but uh if you give the coordinates where you're supposed to go in at the date and time you go in the date and time you're expected to come out that way if uh you know, if you have a, uh, if you're not reported in uh, when you're supposed to, after you've come out, they at least have an idea of where you're going to be at, so they can start the search. And that, in, in a uh, relatively smaller area, yeah. That's, we do a lot of that stuff. We, we go out on foot. We're doing our 50 miles with the Boy Scouts, or up in the up in the mountains at you know, 11,000 feet for seven days in a row, and then. Uh, we, Crest a couple fourteen years when we we're there, so but we have all that stuff as well, and we also uh, in some other groups too. They'll do. Uh, you can uh, buy insurance to where it's like a, maybe a fifty dollars a head if you're going to be out in an extended period of time. To which, if you do have to click that button and a helicopter comes, uh, then that then that helicopter ride to the hospital is all paid for if you that insurance. Uh, so there are several different uh, things you can do to prepare yourself. Uh, To uh, not have to spend thousands of dollars out of pocket, should you uh, find yourself uh, in a precarious situation, getting stuck by a storm, or getting uh, trapped by a, or breaking an ankle or a leg on the on the mountain, or uh, worse, even worse yet, mauled by a bear. So there are several things out there on the market that you can help prepare yourself for those different types of unfortunate events should they happen to you when you're out there.
5: Yep a flight pan just like uh, the uh, they do uh, on long, long cross countries and uh, all kinds of uh, pilots are, are very used to that private pilots uh, as well so it makes really good sense because you, you and I'm sure they do that in the boating industry as well even sailors uh, uh, on small boats I'm sure do a similar thing I really like the idea of uh, the the cookies the, the very much a Hansel and Gretel uh, breadcrumb uh, trail. Uh, through the woods, uh, kind of thing, uh, with the with the uh, the G- uh, the GPS device that can track where you go. That's that's really nice. So if you let me are
9: a radio guy. You can use APRS for that purpose as well. Um, the insurance you're talking about for the uh, the little locator beacons is called Geos SAR coverage. I think it covers like a, up to 150 grand uh, per rescue or something like that. And also another option if you don't want to invest in this thing that costs you like a monthly fee is you buy a PLB, which is a one-time cost option. They're around $300, $300 to $400. You register it with a government system called cospas sarset and it works It works world worldwide on the water, on land, wherever. It is a uh, U.S. military and Russian-ran satellite system, and... uh Whenever I was doing uh, safety systems on military aircraft, we use the exact same system to track our pilots if they went down and they, they activated a beacon. It's a one-time cost thing. You register it with that system. And then if you ever need it, the units usually have about uh, a, a five-year shelf life. Uh, if you ever activate that thing, it sends a 406 megahertz beacon to a satellite and it activates 124 megahertz local beacon, and uh, SAR teams come out and they'll find you. And uh, that's, a, that's a government level deal, that's not through a private company. Uh, the signal goes to, a, to an airman sitting in, in Colorado Springs, and then they make the calls from there and get people in, in motion to come get you.
5: Very cool, great information.
3: So this is Bob from Colorado. and a lot of the messengers you use on your phone have a gps tracker uh like on verizon i use the messenger it's called glimpse and i can turn it on when i'm out and that's what i do anytime you have cell signal it is sending your location back to whoever you choose so i send mine back like my nieces nephews can watch me when i'm out in the mountains or Traveling across the desert or something, and I send it back to my wife so she gets an update constant to wherever I'm at. All she has to do is click on the window, and it shows her my last, the last location my phone had service, and it's a live update as long as there's a signal, and it's free with your service.
5: Right. Yeah, but it, that's the tricky bit is the having the cell service. But I I have glamps on my phone. It's very handy. Uh, you know your uh, significant other is watching it when she says, hey, would you pick me up a pulled pork sandwich from uh, Bucky's?
6: Uh, God, I hate that. <laughs> 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 well, a lot of, what a lot of people don't know is that uh, um, cell phones still work with GPS, even if you don't have signals. And what we would do when we went out to Boundary Waters and some of these other uh, scouting trips that I've been on is we would download the map of the area that we're going to be in with waypoints and it would have different campsites already pre-populated uh, on these maps that we would have. And then you could uh, download that map to your phone. Even when you got your phone in airplane mode, you turn the Gaia map on that we would use a lot is what we'd use mostly. And uh, that map would appear through the downloaded uh, map that you've already got on the phone. <clears throat> and you can see where you are in the relationship on that map. And so that way, it's uh, what a lot of people just don't realize is that uh, cell phones can still be used even when they're not don't have service on. So that way, you can at least have an idea of where you are and try to maybe help find yourself a way out of a a, a situation or an area that you might be unfamiliar with. If you have already had it, if you were prepared and already had it downloaded to your phone.
5: Yep, very true. Because you don't need Wi-Fi or cellular coverage or any of that stuff. Uh, GPS is a receiver and uh, receives the information, the positioning information from the satellites overhead. So all you need is a clear view of the, uh, of the sky.
3: So Bob in Colorado again, as much as I dislike um, Google as a whole, Google Maps, you can pre-plan your entire route on your web browser, on your computer, add points, camping spots, anything. And then text it to your phone or email it to yourself but you can also send it to anybody else that you want. That's so you true. were talking about filing your flight plan. So All when guys. I make my route, when I'm going out for like a, several days at a time or crossing to Arizona or something, I'll pick my route. And a lot of times I'll do an ABC scenario. This is where I'm going. This is what my backup is going to be. If something happens on this route, this will be my most likely alternate. And then I can email it to my wife and, she never even has to open it up if she doesn't want to, uh, unless she doesn't hear from me. Then she can pull it up just with the click of the link and see what my planned route was and look at the last place that I checked in with her, the last camp I was at. So,
5: yep, that's really
3: handy to do. She can also
5: see how far you are on your way home, uh, which is which is good. I know my wife kind of worries when I go places and uh, it gets concerned about. Uh, You know, are you going to make it? Especially if it's a long ways away, or you know, he's almost home. He's almost home, and then it just makes her feel better to see uh, that uh, I'm progressing along just fine. Of course, I might get in trouble for speeding when I get home.
10: This is uh, hey Ducky. Um, Go ahead. If you ever get into a spot where you don't have service from your provider itself, you could actually dial six one one on your phone, and it'll use any other provider around you.
5: Oh, that's interesting.
1: Very so cool. So you can
10: get in contact with somebody if you have like an emergency, like, you know, bear attack or whatever like that.
0: So, Tony, this is Chuck again in Kansas. Um, you know, and all, all these are spectacular. One of the things that we learned when I was a lot younger is, you know, knowledge is key, right, in any emergency situation. I mean, knowledge is always going to get you out before any technology and when I think my first CPR class, I was nine years old and CPR class is not just, you know, respirations and pressure, you know, it, uh, you learn a lot about tourniquets and, and, uh, very basic splinting and stuff like that, which are, it's a necessity. You know, I, I personally believe I, uh, I had a lot more advanced training in the service in this aspect and made it all the way up to a paramedic and uh, the knowledge that any kind of medical provider can have whether it be just a cpr card anything from your red cross to an emt to a paramedic you know and if you make a a small kit and i'm not talking about the first aid kits that you can buy from walmart because that'll give you like band-aids and crap well that's not what you need you need to go get gauze you need to get you know a very basic tourniquet you need Sam to get splints bam splints absolutely you know anything that you can splint isolate an arm you know i know people that you know it's, it's very common. yes it's very well yeah i don't know about that because you don't what really want to show something up with dirt but uh a lot of people in the older jeeps that don't have any doors or windows when they start going over It's very easy for them to stick their hand outside the cab. And I know people that have lost limbs because they get it crushed, you know, when they roll their vehicle. Well, you can call up any kind of EMT or ambulance or whatever, whether it be, you know, life flight or whatever. I mean, it could be hours before they get to you. So to be able to isolate any kind of wound and stop the hemorrhaging is paramount when you're out there and it does it does take with it a level of um a responsibility when you have the knowledge but it it really is is i mean I, I i on everything you know i've never had a plb i mean other than in the service of course we had plbs and cell phones never really worked anywhere i went we always 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 had that medical knowledge so we can get out on our own does that make sense
5: Absolutely, and I think that's, that's critical if you can have that and have the right stuff with you. Um, yeah, what, is, and, what is and that, that so stuff, easy. What is that stuff that you can put on wounds, a coagulating uh, agent? Is that something that you could use? A clot. Yeah. 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 yeah there's Quick a couple clot. of different brands Quick now. clot, yeah.
0: Yeah, I, I don't know. I mean, I don't know what the legality of just anybody having it. I mean, it really depends on the, the, the surgeon general of your state that'll tell you what you can do or can't do you know, like li- certain licenses don't have reciprocity from state to state, you know, like mm, right. if I go to California, my, my parent, you know, my, my license, my peace status license isn't valid. You know I mean? It just, it just is what it is. Well, you're probably but a,
5: a cancer causing agent in uh, California. So
1: one of the right, best, and, go ahead. Sorry. One of the best things they have is their um actually the Israeli military puts out, you're talking about the quality. It's, it's the um, trauma bandage. From, it's a, uh, Israeli trauma bandage. I'm trying to find it, but this—that's yeah, really literally
9: bandages. what it's called. There, there's no other name for it. All it is that's is a, exactly is a it is. Uh, Pressure bandage
1: has yeah. a little that's plastic
9: doodad exactly. on it. You wrap it around, and then whenever you pull back on that plastic lever with the gauze, it applies yep. pressure directly on top of where you placed it. One of the well, they, we also
0: here. we we also had. Well, I thought you guys were talking about that other stuff that we would actually put into the into the wounds that would. It's a hemostatic agent, right? We, wound care.
5: Yeah, I thought yeah, it was like well, a powder type stuff. that you it, it is. Uh, there are a couple of different yeah, a, that's,
0: a quick, that's a quick clot, and I thought that's what Tony was asking that's about. That's what I was asking right. about. I, I don't know that, that you out. can just go over the counter and get that stuff, Tony. Yeah, oh, yeah, I mean, you you can, can order mean, it off like Amazon. Amazon. and buy it right yeah, now. Yeah. Really? Yes. Yeah. You yeah. yeah, you don't wanna get that shit in your eyes, I'll tell you what. <laughs>
9: the the powder is largely not used anymore uh, because right. of that reason because it's really hard to control. Most of what you have on the market now and what you see on the street is gonna be impregnated gauze.
0: Ah. Right. That's what we that's what we used a lot. I mean we had the, the, the dust, but we never we, we didn't like using it because well, it was always That sounds shitty, like that right? would
5: work out better than the, the dust type stuff because you're gonna you're gonna need it, to put gauze or something on that wound anyway it uh, well you put it in the wound i mean you you actually were were, i mean and and
0: and something like this i mean we're talking you know arterial bleeding right i mean that that's what you need this stuff for you're not going to need it for any kind of venous bleeding at all really right because that that just pressure and and elevation that's your key but if you have arterial bleeding i mean you're fucked anyway i mean so i mean to have that stuff and you really need to know what you're doing to be able to use that kind of crap you know but I mean, it's always good to have. I mean, and and, and I, I would say any listener that's listening to this right now that that says, okay, I, I don't want to go that far. Just go to your local Red Cross, get to the, the basic CPR classes. <clears throat> You're going to take care of
1: 98% of what happens on the trail. Mm-hmm. Or Wilder- Wilderness First Aid taught. They teach those at REIs as well. Oh, really? Oh, yeah. Uh, I know Greg and I have probably, Greg's probably been through with the scouts. But there's a whole program called wilderness first aid, which is a whole three day program that teaches you for when you're more than, you know, a couple hours away from help. How, how do you, yeah. what do you have to do to respond?
0: And, it, and I, I, I mean, it is, it's just paramount to have that knowledge. I mean, if you have it a deep group a family, I mean, my mom and I went when I was nine and I think she was 90, but um, it, it was, it, it made so much peace of mind. We used to go backpacking, you know, backpack for three or four days straight in one general direction, and you had that peace of mind knowing that no matter what, that you were going to be safe, and that's it's just knowledge. I mean, you, you have well, to have it, it's, right?
5: it's like knowing how to work on your Jeep. Uh, you don't have to be dependent on somebody else that knows how to do it. You can take right. care of it yourself. It's self-independence. Uh, uh, and I, I and yep. this is another another aspect of that, and I think this is a really good thing for people to know. I I know I've been researching to put together uh, a uh, a first aid pack, and I had been uh, looking at those Israeli bandages and that quick clot, and you know you can get off in a, a rabbit holes real deep in this stuff because it's it's pretty cool with all the stuff that you can you can get. Um, but yeah. uh, I, I keep thinking about the uh, the 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 uh, the Zoom person that said I'm forget who it was now talking about the the bear mauling. And I, I think about something like that and, you know, you're going to have to have uh, tourniquet capabilities. You're possibly going to have to stop some really bad bleeding. Uh, so, I mean, if you're two hours away and get mauled by a bear, you got to be hoping you're not, uh, Leonardo, Leonardo DiCaprio in a movie and you got somebody else there with you to help you.
0: Right. Yeah, you're a hundred percent, right?
4: Yeah. I, um, I totally agree with what Chuck was saying. All you guys are saying, um, from my experience here, I'd taken through work and stuff. I'd taken the first aid courses and all that stuff. And a few years back, we are out quadding. And my one friend is a fireman. He's really experienced with all that stuff. But we came across a 16-year-old kid that crashed and shattered his femur, his leg there, right? Oh, jeez. And there's two kids, and they're laying on the ground. And the first thing I thought was like, oh, my God, maybe I can just pretend I didn't see him. And I, I don't know what to do, right? And I'm kind of panicking in my head. What do you do? What do you do? And my buddy is like, all right, you take the GPS, you call the 911, you go find some splits. The other person, let's get this guy kind of stabilized. And I'm like, they taught everything that in the first aid courses, the St. John ambulances or whatever you all have. But if you don't do it every day, you kind of, your mind goes blank. And I think that if everybody, I mean, if you're in the army and you're used to it, that's, you know, that's not myself, obviously, but I think, if you're a regular civilian, maybe we should be taking a first aid course every year. So you kind of, you know, you're, you should anyway, Yeah, he, yeah. To, to, to keep your EMT or
0: paramedic license. I mean, there's so many hours per year that you have to take regardless. And I can tell you my first CPR class, you know, back in the 80s is diametrically opposite from the CPR class that's going to be taken this year. I mean, medicine, it's called practicing medicine for a reason. You don't do medicine, right? It changes because no- the knowledge base changes, right? I mean, Christ's sake, they used to cut open people to bleed them to get the bad blood out, right? So yes. things do change. Still bleed you should sometimes, yeah. <laughs> and you should you should you, if it's not in an annual basis, I mean, biannually. You know, I would definitely say just take the course again because you have to be a ref- you have to be refreshed, absolutely. And it's always a life Indeed. and death situation. I mean, it's not life and death, but you know, when you need it, you can't, you can't have to think about it. Right. You just like with a guy with a femur, I mean, you got to know to pull traction and do all this other kind of crap where Most people wouldn't know that you have to pull traction, yep. you know, but you, you do, you have to pull it right.
2: So anyhow. so one of the, one of the other things I was asking on that was, especially for folks that are down here in Texas, right. And say, inside the same state, if you go a lot of the good places you mentioned, big Ben, I think Bill, right. Um, you're you're right down there on the border. So when you're camping out in the way from middle of everything, let's talk it kind of switched over to security, right? So obviously you, you'll have your concealed carrier or whatever with you. I think most people do. But if we're going to be doing like, say a trip that is going to span multiple states, you know, I know that there's a lot of call ahead. There's specific rules around national parks. There's a lot of things that you've kind of got to, gotta look out for and I, and I know the old adage right it's better to be you know judged by 12 than carried by six kind of thing but uh, at the same time you, you want to at least try to try to see if you can stay legal and everything to kind of avoid um problems and stuff like that so what are some of the resources that you use to to do that planning when you're you're trying to go and if to boil it down to the question is is if you're going to carry a firearm you're going to have a multi-state trip including national parks how do you go about the transport and
3: all that to stay legal Google. So go to your state's attorney general's webpage. They are going to cover whatever is necessary for your state's concealed carry and all of the laws. Usually it's it's filed together. And in most states, if you go to that web page, it's going to give you there will be a page for reciprocity for your concealed carry. It's going to have a l- list of links for each state you have reciprocity with. If you click on the link, it's going to take you to the same page on that state you're going to be traveling through. And that will give you the breakdown of all that information. Uh, There is no substitute. And I've used many apps and many web pages. There is no substitute for sitting down and reading it with your own eyes, even if it's the summary from that other state. And it's not just states. If you're going to spend time in certain cities or on reservations is another big one. A lot of tribes have their own rules that on tribal grounds supersede the state. So you want to research that too. Like if you're going out to Moab or through uh, Arizona, the Navajo reservation has their own rules about where firearms can be taken and who can possess them. So So that's one of the best ways.
7: So,
3: yeah, I mean, I,
2: i kind of figured it was going to be some sort of official site i said no there was some sort of aggregator site that was that was a good place to go that you know you could almost kind of plan your route out and it would tell you
7: all the municipalities or whatever that you need to go validate against you don't want to guess on that one there's no. been many people who guess when they go up east especially and uh that gets pretty expensive
5: and they pro- I'm sure they probably figure, I never get pulled over, so what do I got to worry about anyway? So I'm just going to have this because it, it's going to protect me. I've kind of got, a, I, I kinda got a, a different question about uh, guns. When, uh, when, is it, when do you go to the trouble of taking a, uh, a rifle with you as well as a, a, a handgun? Or do you ever really have to worry about that?
0: Every single time.
6: <laughs> Every I time. take a rifle
0: everywhere I go. I actually use an over under. I use a breech load single shot over under. The bottom is a twenty gauge, and the the upper is a is a twenty two.
7: So I, no, I normally don't.
2: I normally take nothing but a a pistol is is normally what I what I take. If I'm going on like a, a jeep trip, right? If I'm going hunting or something specific where I need a long gun, then I might. But other than that, space is fairly limited in the jeep anyway.
1: Mm-hmm.
2: And you know, traditionally, I've never. I never really needed to to bring a rifle.
5: I don't know what situation that I would be in to need a rifle, but uh, I know that a rifle uh, has more stopping power and accuracy than a pistol. and I can see that that would be a good thing to have, even if it's like a shotgun, like what Chuck was saying. uh, Even a shotgun is a Uh, makes it makes a good crowd pleaser i don't know that i would ever be in a situation where where i would need that but that's one of that's kind of the reason why i asked the question is it is it something worth finding a spot to put in your jeep so you'll have it just in case i mean even in a survival mode it could help you eat uh not not people i'm just talking about wildlife that you could hunt out there
2: there's also, yeah, that, I think the rules wise we we're talking about are a little bit more lax for, for long guns traditionally. True,
5: yeah. You I know in Texas it has it. been. It was legal when I was a kid to walk around with a rifle. A long I gun. carry a
3: 4570 with me in a scabbard flung over the back of the driver's seat. Uh, it's right there. I can reach it from the driver's door if I have to get out. Uh, if we're at camp, it usually goes into the back of the truck or the back of the the trailer or something wherever I'm at. Uh, we carry, when we're in our tents or we're at camp, we all have our keys on us to push the panic button is our first step. Second step is bear spray. We have bear spray in the door of every vehicle. usually have a can in the trailers. And if anybody's going to go out hiking, one of the kids is even going to wander a little ways from camp. They know to reach in one of the boxes and grab a can of bear spray, put on their belt and take with them. Uh, we keep a number of us carry handguns holstered with us. Even while we're at camp, you don't know when something's going to come around. And then, especially when we're in bear country, all through the Rockies, uh, I carry my 4570 lever gun. Maximum stopping power. I don't want to have to think, uh, worry about is my handgun going to go through whatever I need it to go through? And What's- I've crested the hill. In Montana on the Front Range, and run into something very big, very brown, and very furry. I'm glad he wasn't very hungry.
5: <laughs> <laughs> yeah,
3: we had the I same.
5: Get a DNA Sorry, sample of it's Bigfoot, Bob. <clears throat> uh, it was not Bigfoot, but he had <laughs> big feet,
3: <laughs> <laughs> all four of them, and they had big claws on them.
1: Yeah, Beaver Nuggets. <laughs>
3: you, you know what I what I found with wildlife? I, I almost had a couple of beaver nuggets come out <laughs> when we come over that hill. He <laughs> turned around and looked at us. He was a ways away, but we didn't know what direction he was going to go. <laughs> you,
0: you know what I found with wildlife is anything that goes bang, unless they're sick, they typically run away. Right. So, like when I've I backpacked through California, or through Alaska, and we came up on a on a on a bear, you know, and you know I presented the forty five, shot over the head, and the bear just runs away. You know, I've never actually had anything. I had a mountain lion attack one time, but I was laying on the ground at like two a.m., so it just thought I was dead. But but anything alive, anything that goes bang, usually what I have found is that the animal just. Gets scared to death and runs away, you
5: know. Oh, I like that. I I would much rather uh, not injure the animal if I could uh, keep from it, unless I was going to eat it. Uh,
0: yeah, one of the I hunting
5: websites. About, one of the I hunting websites
9: compiled a bunch of data uh, on the you know handgun versus bear thing because uh-huh. a lot of times you'll people will be like you got to carry the biggest wheel, biggest strongest wheel gun you can carry into the woods if you're going to see bear. And uh, one of the hunting websites compiled a bunch of data that they were able to find from various encounters with bears, and basically it boiled down to have something that goes bang. Nine, like uh, 100% of the 9mm the handgun versus bear incidents were 100% effective at stopping the bear. 45 was like 95% effective or something like that. But basically it boiled down to have, like if somebody else was saying, have something that goes bang.
4: To, yeah, um, I like. go ahead. I was going to say, just to add to that, I have in my Jeep there um, Bear Bangers is what I think they're called. It's like a pen, and it basically is like a twenty-two shell and a little tiny screw-on firework into kind of like a pen. And uh, some of them go pop. They just almost click like a ballpoint pen, um, and it just shoots off, goes bang, and then the other one's a flare. So you actually have a flare and uh, a Bear Banger, that literally is the size of a ballpoint
5: pen. Hey, another great thing to have whenever you're off grid, the flare. Yeah,
9: those
4: are yeah. are
9: called those are called pin those are called pin flares. Uh they're part of the survival kit for uh for air crew. Yep. It's just a little canister that screws on top of like it literally looks like a black pin with a with a thought with a side mounted thumb wheel piece. Pull that down, let it go, bang, shoots a flare in the air. Or in the case <laughs> of the bear banger shoots a loud bang, loud thing Ha-ha. that goes bang over the bear. Josh, where do you get those? Uh, Google, Google, uh, Google bear banger and it'll come up. GTS it. (laughs)
3: GTS. (laughs) So when I'm out in the wilderness, bears are actually not one of the primary concerns or things I would worry about. When I say I would, I want whatever will stop the bear as best as possible. In that case, I am more worried about getting between a sow and cubs. I'm yeah. worried about that case yeah. where they're not going to go the opposite direction. Yeah, you're, you're 100% right. Yeah, yeah. That's, that's, that's my worry with bears. Other things in the wilderness to worry about, uh, you know, a coyote that's become acclimated to camp and to people can get very aggressive. Uh, you get into a part of the country that has wild boars. Uh, yeah. If if you get aggressive ones, they will tear a camp apart. Mm-hmm. I know people who've been in in camp and had boars or hogs go through camp. Now, if you're the unlucky one who, who ends up in the bad situation, I want something that's going to deter them. Besides yelling at them, because I don't the think hogs, that's going to work. Hogs are hogs are
2: really bad. I mean, that's when you're out and about here in texas i mean i i grew up in northeastern texas just outside of where josh is in a place called campbell and that area is just ate up with hogs and uh, a lot of the ranchers and stuff like farmers they want you to come out there and kill as many as you can just because of the number of them but they are dangerous they'll charge you right and if they they'll charge you after you fired at them so it's not like the wow pays them off i mean they they'll keep coming at you and they travel and kind of Packs oftentimes just not. There's almost never just one of them just roaming around. It's normally you know several that are that are out there, and uh, you you stir them up. It's dangerous.
5: I tell you what, it's a damn good thing the bacon is so tasty because you wouldn't be uh, putting up with all that just for bacon. Amen. <laughs> so let's. Uh, that's a great a great conversation. You guys have a, a just a wealth of information. I want to throw this out there before I, I move along. Uh, a lot of really good information from you guys, uh, and so several of you guys just portray yourself as knuckleheads, and, and that's not the case at all. Very knowledgeable, very educated on, on these things. So okay. this is, <laughs> this is uh, probably going to be a, a, a very downshifted question from what we've been talking about, but maybe it would be a good palate cleanser to, uh, to wind up on. Um, so somebody sent me a message the other day, actually the whole uh, Jeep Talk Show, uh, all the hosts. About uh, why is there only one tow hook on the rear of Jeep Wranglers? I mean, even no if it's a, even if it's a Rubicon, it has one tow hook, and and has that always it's been the cheaper. case? It's cheaper, it's cheaper to build cheaper. them that way. Oh, absolutely. You never need two. But but why why put two on the front? Because it, it looks cool. Looked yeah, it
9: looks better would be my guess.
5: <laughs> That's what I'm thinking. <laughs> it looks I mean, more balanced. <laughs> like, what? What a cheap bastard didn't put two to two toe hooks on the front? Come on.
9: Uh, honestly, I'd rather have a two inch receiver hitch up there than a damn tow hook.
1: But yeah, with the you know, get of. what you can get.
5: So uh, I don't know if you guys know about this or not. I don't think we. Oh, well, I think we have one Gladiator uh, here in the group. Uh, the uh, Rubicon, Rubicon, and I think the Mojave uh, Gladiators come with two rear tow hooks and i was surprised when i was looking none of the jls none of the none of them even the high dollar ones come with two rear tow hooks and and they're not they're just kind of a a metal curved piece of metal they're not even a a fancy looking thing like comes on the gladiator isn't
0: that the i don't know they they all have plastic dashes so i don't know a damn thing about them
5: yeah
1: oh shit here we go
5: Well, I told you. My dad
1: said <laughs> he'd he, he be lucky lock the new if your cars. CJ even
9: had tow hooks on it from the factory. Those were optional. No,
1: hell hey, no. At least I don't have to get out to lock the hubs, right? Oh, yeah.
5: But that was the big thing about uh, my
9: My, my pickup. CJ2 doesn't have locking hubs. it has got drive flanges. Uh,
5: <laughs> so you guys figure it's just a looks type thing. Is it worth the trouble of putting two tow hooks on the rear of the Wranglers?
1: Kind of looked I don't at it. So. And I'll be honest, this is it from Chicago. I looked at it, you know what, by this point, I'm like, I just rather get a new bumper with
5: D ring attachments. Exactly. On
2: it. Yeah. But it's, you know, you know what's interesting about you said the D ring attachments? I was, I don't know if you watch a lot of the Ian Johnson video, not Ian Johnson, Fred, I think it was Fred Williams. So Rick Payway has a rule for Ultimate Adventure that if all you have are the D ring shackle mounts, you don't qualify. And uh, he, uh, he, you specifically have to have a toe hook, an open ended hook. And it's, it's, uh, so I can't remember the exact reason it was something along the lines of, you know, if you don't have something that can connect to a D ring shackle, maybe if all you have a rope or something like that, you still have a way of getting it around and stopping them from going over a hill or, or something like that. So I thought it was interesting though, because they like Fred has a specific, what he uses, which is kind of like a, a hook and a D ring shackle that goes on the front kind of or mat, shackle mount on the front together. So they were, they were doing that about the same time they were, uh, they were kind of dogging the factor 55 closed closed loop systems mm-hmm. and kind of talking about how those are not, you know, not the best to have, uh, due to this, that same reason because a hook gives you so many more options. So, I mean, I haven't been in a situation where I felt limited by my D ring shackle mount system versus a hook, but you know, I'm obviously not doing the same
7: stuff. They're doing an ultimate adventure either.
2: People broke hooks before
0: John,
7: oh, sure. you know,
0: we, we, we've tried to get, jeeps out of places and whatnot and you know being idiots like normal (laughs) when we were kids and we we've ripped them thing you know the the hook part the hooky part now these were those really cheap chrome ones that we would put on our jeeps you know back and forever ago they probably have much nicer ones now but we'd break the shit out of them things so that we always use clevises. you know the i don't know what they're called they're like a deal with a bolt that screws through it and you can put it up to your d-ring yeah your d-ring well clevis and a d-ring are different like aren't they i mean i know i have welded d-rings when i built the 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 rock crawler we welded them on and then we would also have a clevis in the back that had that eye hook bolt that would go through it so if all you had was a rope or a or a toe strap you put it through the end of the toe strap put it up to your d-ring and then bolt it down
9: d-ring and clevis are kind of used interchangeably uh what so most what people are referring of? to, what, what most people are referring to here as like a D ring, is what you're referring to as a clevis. Yeah, it's it's it's, it's the same thing.
0: So the so like the welded D rings that we would put on our equipment or trailers or whatever thing, that's not what you guys are talking about. You're talking that's about a, a well, well, most
9: most people would refer to that as a tab. Yeah, so a tab. you 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 hook your clevis or D ring to the tab on the bumper that has the hole in it. No, it's not a tab. Anything. Uh-uh. No, the so it's it's actual it's
0: an actual ring that's the shape of a D. And then there's a piece that goes over the flat part and we welded that to the actual bumper. So it, it rotates in and out and it's a ring. I mean it clinged and clacked all the time. It's kind of a giant pain in the ass. And then we had a clevis. We actually pulled them off the the um, what are the the seven thirty-threes or whatever them little tanks were we we t- take those off of them and it's pretty good size you know they're six or seven inches around and then that would go on to the welded on d-ring that can also move on the bumper but it it cannot be removed from the bumper so if you had a chain with a hook you just slip it through it and then put the hook on itself you know the chain on the hook but if you didn't and all you had was a toe strap then you pulled out your what we would call a clevis
2: all Right. That's what we're talking about. I don't know if you can
9: see on the so video. What, what John's holding is referred to as a D ring or a clevis. It depends on who you're talking to. Huh. In, I in, wonder what the hell it is that
5: I have, then.
1: <laughs> you can call it whatever you like. Oh, like soda or pop. That I got it. That that Those are called uh, Prince Albert's, but
2: it's a different kind of feeling.
4: <laughs> what <laughs> the <laughs> hell? <laughs> uh, as
10: Getting long as you can't see them, like old Le Fong.
7: I don't care. <laughs> okay. So, Larry, God. what are those things called? But the clevis or the D ring, same thing.
0: No, the the you you see them that people weld them on their their car trailers a lot, so they can hook onto their um their uh, their hooks and actually like pull their cars down with it. Um, y- you find them on car trailers all the time. They're just the little the little rings that are on the side of the trailer that, but they're actually welded on. But the the the
7: loop D-rings, moves. Yeah. Well yeah, I would just weld on loops or something like that weld on trailer yeah. d ring tie down name. anchor
5: eighteen thousand pounds brake strength. They got, yeah, little, Tony's they, got, got it. they got a little they got a little uh, that shit. they and they are they are in a, the shape of a d and but they've got a piece of metal uh, up towards the top of it, which I can see where you would uh, actually you could use that to weld weld it onto stuff <laughs> so it's called a d-ring uh, at least on Amazon, so the Chinese think it's uh, called a d-ring
7: but you <laughs> the know trim- the of trim- trim- the English language. <laughs> the loop that John's talking about could quickly also get into the uh, synthetic versus steel cable argument real well. Because if you have just a uh, you know that hook up welded onto the front of your bumper, if you don't have those edges prepped right, the minute you slide that rope over it and you pull hard, it's gonna come. It's gonna break that rope instantly because of the sharp edges. Yep. Yep. Yeah.
5: Well, when they start making jeeps out of the synthetic uh, rope, then I'll know we've uh, we've hit the twenty second century.
7: Yeah, but but when you say that, I I've I've been around enough lifting where everybody has switched over from uh, steel lifting cables and everything to synthetic. So I've seen those hold you know tens of thousands of pounds. Oh they no! Got rid- no, I know they got got do. Rid of them for a reason.
5: Yeah, no, I know they they do. It's an amazing technology, and I just don't like the. Uh, i'd I'd like to know more information about how how the longevity of the the synthetic stuff is because for a joke mainly i always make the joke about you know sun uh, the uv radiation and pointy sticks uh, are are its only downfall and that just scares the hell out of me on any long-term thing i mean if you're using it every day uh you know and there's a business backing it uh make sure that the thing is being handled properly and i guess it puts the lotion on it you know somebody puts lotion on it before you use it for the day if (laughs) you're using it in a professional
9: capacity you there are tons and tons and tons of regulations involved with businesses and professionals using these things uh the the fabric and everything i mean your, your the seat belts in your Jeep really should be replaced every you know ten or fifteen years, but nobody ever does that, right? Yeah. Uh, and We're that's exposed bag. to far more UV radiation than the you know ditch pig strap that you have stored in a zip zip up
3: bag in the back of your Jeep. So UV yeah, the- exposure is a non-issue with Dyneema rope. It is a hundred percent a non-issue. Huh? Um, it will form a layer almost like oxidization on. Aluminum that is then done. It doesn't go any farther than that very outermost layer. And if you have any question about the logic of that, where does Dyneema Rope come from? It comes from the maritime industry. It's, it's there because it survives uh, salt water or mist exposure and it survives the sun very well. Dyneema man.
10: Rope is great outdoors. It, the UV is a non-issue. This is Chris from Bowling Green, Kentucky. Uh, most manufacturers, if you have a synthetic rope on your wench, says you're supposed to get five full poles out of it, and that's it. And then you're supposed to replace it. So you're only supposed to max it out five times at 20,000 or 12,000 or whatever you have. Hopefully you're not wow. to pull to pull that heavy that often, right? I mean, for the most part, you're never really maxing out on a, on a yeah. pull. But, I mean, if you calculate it over time, you know, if you're only taking out it a quarter at a time and pulling it, you know, you maybe get 20, 30 pulls
7: out of it, and then you're supposed to replace it. I think I'm just going to keep yeah. with my old school cable. Yeah, but that's max pulls, right? So, yeah, how often are you going to put fifteen to 20,000 pounds on one of those ropes? Yeah, that's I mean, a lot we, of weight yeah you know That's we've got lot. we've all got these big four-door trail pigs as some people call them but you know <laughs> we're only talking about what 7500 when she's really loaded down unless, unless you're stuck in the cable, mud right
0: because right, you suck the, the, if you're stuck in the bad. mud
7: then the suction is going to be twice
0: as
10: much absolutely right? yeah, yeah even the snow cables actually have a recommendation of changing out Well, i need the snatch box you're
5: and you're well, as you can hear, the uh, the Zoom conversation continues on, but we're a little over the hour mark, so we're going to wrap this thing up. Another great conversation. I'm not kidding you. There's a lot of great knowledge uh, here in the, the Zoom room. And uh, if you'd like to join, uh, maybe you have some uh, some better information or you just want to add uh, some information that you think we may need. You can join each week, Tuesday, 8 p.m. Central Time is when we record the show and we re- release this episode on Wednesday. Uh, so the, the very next day we released the episode, but anyway, Tuesday, 8 PM central time. And if you'd like to, to join, uh, join in, all you have to do is sign up for our newsletter, jeeptalkshow.com slash contact, and you'll get an email with the link and the password to our zoom meeting. And you know, it doesn't matter if you're on your phone, doesn't matter if you're on a desktop, uh, you can use a tablet, The uh, zoom runs on everything. So just give it a try. Hell, I even think they got zoom running on a, uh, on, on, uh, uh on Linux. So uh, there's, uh, there's really no excuse to come in here and join in uh, the, the meeting. So until uh, next week, uh, our next Zoom meeting, uh, you need to, to listen and uh, join in if you uh, would like to be part of the show. I've
4: been asking since 2010.